Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Timothy, and let's go to chapter 6. We want to pick up our study in verse 11 through verse 21. We're looking at part 2 now, encouragement for godliness. Now, as I did last week, let me give you some encouragement in the word godliness. Very important to see this. Godliness in the Greek is the word eusebia, and it basically means uh, piety, holiness, reverence, and this is what God bestows on our lives as we come to saving grace. Now, Strong's Dictionary of Greek words said that the word godliness speaks of being devout, being devout in your piety, in your reverence, in your holiness as a Christian. A true believer in Jesus Christ. Your commitment to godliness to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But here's the key. Here's the key. Even as we mentioned it in our prayer. We know that there is no piety in me. We know that there's no holiness in me. We know that there's no reverence in me. There is no godliness in me. But it's through Christ it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that I can even come to this place of godliness in my life. But I first must come to the born-again experience. And then God works this uh, godliness in my heart and your heart. And it's part of our lives. So Paul is encouraging Timothy. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says this. The word godliness means more than a religious profession or a godly conduct. It also means a reality and power of a vital union with God. A vital union with God. Now that speaks to me of relationship. If you've been here long enough, we don't speak about religion. Religion will kill you. But a relationship brings you into that place of, of knowing God. It brings you into that place of my responsibility uh, towards God. But I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. Again, there is no godliness in us. There is no righteousness in us. But it's only through Christ. And so I'm reminded in the Gospel of John chapter 15. We shared this last week. That beautiful teaching concerning the vine and the branches. Jesus says that he is the vine, we are the branches, and we draw nourishment from him. We draw teachings from him. And so he brings us into that place of godliness. But I want you to listen to this verse. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, the vine and the branches, but verse 5. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And here's the key. For without me, you can do nothing. I had to come to grips with that years ago. Without Christ, I can do nothing. And so some of your friends will come to you, and some of your acquaintances, even in the church, and they'll say, it sounds like you guys need a crutch. And my response to that, I definitely need a crutch. My crutch is Christ. Because I can't. I could not stop drinking. I could not so stop selling drugs. I could not stop cursing. I could not stop lying, cheating. All the things that we do, whatever our sin nature was, you could not stop until Christ come into your life. Paul tells the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I look at this word godliness and, you know, I, I cringe a little bit and I take two steps back and I say, Lord, I can't do it. That's right. You can't. But through Christ, I can do this. Through Christ, you can do this. Through this relationship, through this born again experience. Because God changes us, transforms us. The word metamorphosis, there has to be change. You've been a Christian for a year. You should have changed in that year span. You cannot be the same person you were last year. So imagine you've been a Christian for 10, 15 years. Peter says you shouldn't stay in the milk of the word. You should already advance to the meat of the word. And so we come into this place of godliness, piety in my life, holiness in my life, and reverence in my life. It is only through Christ. 
And that's what Paul is concluding uh, these two chapters that we've been dealing with. It. And so let's go to verse 11 now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And Paul begins by this exhortation of the good confession. And so Timothy had made a great confession to God. You have made a great confession to God. And if you have not, you need to come to the born-again experience. And so he begins here so beautifully. But you, O man, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue patience, pursue gentleness. What a charge that he's giving to him. So he begins here. Paul says, Timothy, you're a righteous man. You're now right living for God. You've come to the born again experience. You're this godly man. You're this faithful man. You're this man of love. The word is agape. You have this agape love from God. You're this patient man now. Finally, you're a gentle man now. You come to that place of gentleness in your heart. Pursue after these things, Timothy. The word to pursue, follow, or to press toward these things, these attributes of God in your life. Flee the things we spoke of last week, the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the world, the errors of the world, the greed, the personal gain, the love of money that we spoke of last week. Here Paul encourages Timothy, seek the things of God, which starts with godliness, piety, holiness, reverence of God. But flee from the things of the world. Now, I was thinking about this because Jesus said, we're in the world, we're part of this world, but we're not part of the sin nature. I mean, I wish we were all in heaven with the Lord, but, you know, we have to go through this time span. And bottom line, tomorrow morning, you're going to go to your workplace. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go, you know, to school. And you go to your classroom, wherever it might be. You go to the, even to the gym tomorrow, and you're going to be part of that world. But you have to flee from the desires of the world. You have to flee the sin nature. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. God's called you into godliness. Now, it's easier said than done. Some of you, you're frustrated at work. Some of you are frustrated even at work and play and school because of the world's standards. But I want you to remember this story. Back in Genesis chapter 39, there's a beautiful brother uh, by the name of Joseph. And Joseph goes to Egypt and he's sold off and he ends up there at Potiphar's house. And eventually he becomes second in command uh, to Potiphar. Second in command to the Pharaoh at the time. But while he's at Potiphar's house, God is using him mightily. But we know the story. And Potiphar's wife, she comes and she desires, you know, this young man. And the challenge comes. He's a Christian. Even though his brothers did him wrong. And Potiphar's wife says, John, Excuse me, Joseph, lie with me. She prepared the whole thing. She sent off the servants, and one particular day, nobody was there but just her and Joseph. And she grabbed a hold of his garment, lie with me sexually. That's what she was saying. And the Bible says that Joseph ran from sin while the garment was still in her hand. And so that's the position we have to take. We have to run from sin because God has called me to saving grace. Flee these things, but pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, what we've been speaking about for the last couple of weeks. And now look at verse 12 as he continues, and he's encouraging uh, young Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's the bishop there at Ephesus. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's interesting to me that Timothy, his testimony, followed him. Our testimony should not only be present in front of others, but it should also follow us. And that we have a good testimony, a testimony of godliness before the world. And that they would see us, that Christ is in us, and that they would desire, if what they have, I want. 
That's what I saw in my friend years ago. Oh, I hated it when he shared with me, but down deep inside, I wanted what he had. He was a man that was free, no longer in bondage to his drugs, but God had set him free. And so here, he, this encouragement, fight the good fight. The word to fight, he's speaking about labor, contend, strive, persevere. It's an athletic term. As an athlete would go after the prize. But the Christian, to fight the good fight, listen, of faith. Faith is what we believe. Faith is what we are in Christ Jesus. And we believe in Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he died, he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead. Timothy, hold on to these things because it's your eternal life. Seize these things, this ministry of faith. This word eternal life, it speaks of perpetual life. It speaks of life eternal forever and ever. Uh, perpetual life that God has given you. He was called to saving grace. He was called to the ministry. And so also have we been called to come to that place of saving, saving grace, that is, which you have confessed, he says. Timothy, you have acknowledged this. We have acknowledged this. And if you have not come to saving grace... You need to acknowledge that even this morning. And he did this in front of many witnesses. Timothy, your testimony goes before you. But we're to persevere. Paul tells us in one of his epistles, you know, work out your salvation. Listen, in fear and trembling. It's not an easy task. The beginning of calling yourself a Christian, the beginning of accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, the beginning of saying, Lord, forgive me, and asking him to come in. That's just the beginning. Man, now the walk starts, and we're challenged daily. I want you to listen to this passage because I, I just want you to soak it in. In Luke chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and, and will not be able to. The Bible says that the road to destruction is very wide and many go, but the road to salvation is very narrow and very straight and only few enter. But listen to verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen up and to shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. You see, I believe in the God of second chances. I believe in the God of third and fourth and fifth chances. While we're here on this earth, God gives us chance after chance. And we can fail miserably, but he's the God of second chance. But once we die, once we stand before the judgment day, there's no more chances. Because you relinquish that choice on earth. And so imagine knocking on the door and let me in. I'm sorry, I can't. Interesting. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. There's a scripture that has baffled my mind for many years. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not all that say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But Lord, I went to church every Sunday. Lord, when the offering plate came, I, I gave something, Lord. Lord, when the preacher prayed, I was with him there in prayer. When the preacher shared from the scriptures, I was there, I was reading it, Lord. I even witnessed to some of my co-workers and invited them to church. But not all that say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of God. There has to be a commitment. There has to be a relationship. And so no wonder Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life which uh, you were called. And then he says, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many. Now strive uh, to keep that place. Now I know we're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest a man should boast. But we have to continue to persevere. And that's the place of godliness. Lord, bring that godliness in my life. Lord, bring that righteousness. I was wrong living for God. Now I'm righteous. I've come to right living for God. Lord, teach me. That's why we come to church. 
to learn from God. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy in the remainder of this letter. Look at verse 13 now. I urge you, and the word is better translated, I command you. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. He says, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Now, our example of a good confession, our example of a good testimony was Christ himself. Jesus of Nazareth, as he stood before Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. And remember, the Bible says that Jesus said nothing. And Pontius Pilate says, I have the authority to release you. But Jesus said nothing. He was fulfilling the prophecies in Isaiah. Where he said nothing before his shears. Now Pilate was moved by Christ. He was heavily moved. So here's the command to Timothy. Before the presence of God who gives life to all his creation. And also before Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who testified the good news. The true confession of faith before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. In fact, he tried to wash his hands of the whole ordeal. If you know the background, when Jesus was arrested, he was brought to a mock trial. He was brought to a trial by night. He was brought to a trial that the Jews should not have done. But the Jews wanted him killed. And they didn't want to be responsible. Rome, you do it. He has caused blasphemy. And so Pilate tries, but the testimony before him was tremendous. Jesus said nothing. But there's another beautiful passage. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. Now, this is Pilate's wife. She has this dream. And the scripture says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, obviously, a note saying, have nothing to do with this just man. Speaking of Christ, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Now, we know it was a time of Passover. And tradition said that Rome could release a prisoner. Now, Pilate had already washed his hands. He wanted to remove Jesus from his own guilt. And he tried to release him. And he says, we have this thief, this murderer, Barabbas. Which one shall I release, Barabbas unto you or to Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas, crucify Christ. Those same people a week earlier were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, save now. One week later, crucify him. That's the fickle heart of man. But Pilate tried. Tradition tells us that Pilate's wife came to saving grace. But there's no mention that Pilate himself ever came to saving grace. And so Timothy have a good testimony. Even as Jesus showed the way of a good testimony. A good confession of faith before his captors. Now let's go to verse 14. And I want to take you back into verses 11 and 12. But let me read verse 14 because it applies to it. In verse 14, he says that you keep this commandment. That you keep this commandment without spot, without blemish, until our Lord Jesus Christ in his second coming or his appearing. So in verse 11, we have already shared, how do I stay in godliness, righteousness, faith, God's agape love, patience, gentleness, in verse 12, fight the good fight of what we believe. Hold fast to eternal life, perpetual life that God has graciously given to Timothy and to us. Given to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And so in verse 12 again, Paul said to Timothy that previously confessed Jesus. He confessed him as Jesus was born of a virgin. He died, he was buried, and he resurrected before many witnesses. You do this, Timothy, and you will remain without spot, unblemished sin. The promise to Timothy and to the body of Christ, you will remain blameless. Now, the King James uses the word 
unrebukable. And the Greek there, that no one can lay hold of any blame on you. Now, they might accuse you. They might accuse Timothy. Oh, yeah, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, godliness is part of your life. Righteousness is part of your life. And you say, well, how do you stand firm on this? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. Timothy. Remember Paul? He says, I am the chief sinner. I deserve judgment, but it's by the grace of God. What a testimony. Keep these commandments, Timothy. This charge to you, Timothy. Keep them. Now he goes on. Look at verse 15. And he speaks about God the Father, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so here's the key, what Paul's telling Timothy in verse 15. At God's appointed time, his son Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed one and only. Listen, potentate. The word potentate is a ruler or a powerful ruler. The announcement is by God, nobody else. But the word potentate in the Greek is dynastis, where we gather our English word dynasty. One who exercises his power, his authority from his dynasty. So the almighty God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, will reveal his son in the physical presence in the second coming of Christ. Now, Jesus has already been revealed to the world at his birth. At the age of 30, he was appointed, you know, into his ministry. At the age of 33 and a half, uh, he died. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. And then the ascension into heaven after 40-day post-resurrection. But his second coming, there's an appointed time. Well, the first advent of Christ has already taken place. But the second coming, it's called the parousia of Christ. Now, I believe and I teach that there has to be a rapture of the church. And then a seven years of tribulation, Jesus will return with his servants, with his saints. He will stand on the, uh, the Mount of Olives. And the gate beautiful will open up and he will come through. The Bible says then... He will be revealed to all mankind. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says that every eye shall see him. We've mentioned this many times. That was impossible 30, 40 years ago. In fact, our technology in the last 25 years is incredible. Our technology today, something that's happening in the Middle East, something that's happening in, in Europe or in Asia, we know it immediately. Every eye shall see him. CNN, the Fox Network, <laughs> Telemundo, they'll see it. Now we have, they have Arab television, they will see it. Every eye shall see him. Interesting. And then he goes on to uh, just give glory to God further. Look at verse 16 now. He says, who alone has immortality? He's speaking about God the Father. Who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power forever and ever. Amen. So look at the translation of verse 16. He, speaking of God the Father, he alone has never died. God the Father resides in light. No man can approach. No man, no man has ever seen God the Father, nor ever will. To him be honor. The word is value. To him be value. No man has ever seen God. No man has ever seen this light, the eternal power, strength, dominion. Who is God forever and ever. Now I want you to put your thinking caps on. Back in the book of Genesis, when Moses was receiving the law and such from, from God up in the mountain. Now Moses desired to see the Father, but 
the best that God could do, he took Moses and he put him into the crevice of the rock. And then God went by him and Moses got the backside of God. And the Shekinah glory of just the backside of God blinded this man. When he came down the mountain, he had to put a veil. And his hair was just, it was just illuminated. His face was illuminated. He had been in the presence of God, but he still did not see God. But here's two verses that have always encouraged me. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. There are three distinct gods. There's one God. One God. That's it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's not three gods. Now, you go to John chapter 14. Just take the notes down. Jesus is talking to his disciples. The disciples are asking a ton of questions. And Philip, God bless Philip. He comes with a sincere heart. He says, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Show it to us. Show us the Father. And so in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ, the righteous God. In his incarnation, in John chapter 1, he is all God, he is all man. He becomes one of us to identify with us. When we get to heaven, I believe that we will see in the Godhead bodily, we will see Christ. Beautiful picture of who we serve. Timothy, this is your charge. Live a godly life. And he just begins to lay the foundation down. And we go to verse 17 now. And Paul shifts some gears here. He's still speaking about godliness. But all of a sudden, he speaks about the rich. But let me give you a little bit of background. Timothy is the bishop there in Ephesus. Ephesus is a big metropolitan community. It's a well-traveled town. Many would come through there. But there was something unique about Ephesus. It was known for its temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. And there were silversmiths that made their profit, made their personal gain, their finances, their salary from the amulets and the statues of Diana, pure silver. And they started to come to saving grace. There was riot conditions according to the book of Acts. Because people stopped buying the ambulance. They were trusting in the living God. But many of these were wealthy there at Ephesus. And it's amazing that God always challenges the rich. And I know what you're saying. I'll say the same thing. Well, that's not my problem because I'm not financially rich. But God does challenge the rich. Now, we're rich in Christ Jesus. But what about the financially rich? And there are Christians. If we go back and we see the patriarchs, I mean, uh, Abraham was rich. Jacob was rich. Isaac was rich. We know that our brother Job was financially secure. We are studying the life of King David. He was financially secure. Now we're going to be studying the life of King Solomon on Wednesday nights. And King Solomon even takes it further. The nation of Israel became very wealthy under the command of Solomon. And so there are those Christians that apply to this. And the only way we can give to God, listen, is that godliness is part of my life, part of your life. And so he gives instructions to the rich. In verse 17, Timothy command those who are rich... In the present age, and not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Put our trust in the living God, who gives us richly 
all things to enjoy. And I believe he's speaking about his creation. And so we might never own property. We might not ever own a house or, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe I struggle through life. Maybe I'm just going to live in an apartment dwelling the rest of my life. Maybe I'm just going to be in a trailer and I'm just going to have to survive. But we're rich in Christ Jesus. And look what God's given us in his creation. I'll get to that in just a minute. But notice in verse 17, the exhortation to the financially rich. Timothy, commend, or the word to charge the rich that are in the church in the present age. But I have to add this, for the last 2,000 years. He says to the rich, do not be so haughty. The word is high-minded. Do not be so arrogant. But listen to the Greek rendition. Don't let stupidity rule you. Don't put your trust, your hope, in uncertain riches of this world. Here's the key. Do we place our eternal hope in the finances, or do we place our eternal hope in Christ, in the grace of God? Now listen to Paul as he answers this whole concept of trusting the riches or trusting God. He says, but Timothy, put your trust, put your hope in the living God. I like that. Put your hope, put your trust in the living God. The living God we know is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He and only He gives richly all things to enjoy. Now it's obvious that God gives us salaries. We shared that in the last chapter take care of the widows, take care of the elderly. And then Paul tells Timothy, take care of the elders of the church. And so finances are provided. But it's obvious that money does bring joy. It brings laughter, brings merriment, brings fulfillment. But if that's all we're looking for, listen, it's only for a season. Money can so easily be here today and gone tomorrow. But what about the richness or the riches of God's creation? I've had the opportunity, some of you also, to view the oceans of our great country. The Grand Canyon over here in Arizona, the first time you go to it, your mouth just opens. It's unbelievable. I had the, the opportunity to see the creation of God in Niagara Falls up there by Canada and the United States border. Unbelievable. That just floors you. And then they tell me that's not the biggest falls in the world. Stood before the Great Lakes. And I thought that was the ocean. What about the mountain ranges? Even here in our southwest. We have the Oregon Mountains here. We have the Sandias up in Albuquerque. But what about the Sierra Nevadas? I mean, the beauty of God's, you know, mountain ranges. The beauty of the high desert. So many people look forward to coming to the high desert and to see the beauty here. Some of us have had the opportunity, Northern California, to see the redwoods. To see the John Muir Forest. You just stand there and you just go, wow. The sequoias. Those are unbelievable. The beauty of God. The beauty of God. Now again, the creation of God. Uh, uh, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare uh, the glory of God. Here in the southwest, I was amazed, you know, 20 plus years ago when we first came here. Coming out of Southern California, uh, you know, it's, there's tough days and you don't see the sky. You see brown. You think that's a sky. No, that's smog. Well, we're getting it here now in the southwest. But I remember the first few years we were here. And, man, we take a ride out to the desert area. The lights are diminished, and then you shut the lights off in the vehicle, and you look up, you go, wow. The heavens declare the glory of God. We live up here in, uh, off of Delray on Westmoreland. As you're going up, it's a, it's a climb. You know, going up the hill, and when the moon is there, sometimes when we're coming home from Bible study on, you know, Wednesday nights, it looks like a, a huge, giant orange, a glow. And it feels like if you just keep going up West Morning, you're going to reach it anytime. Just the glory of God. 
And so we might not be financially rich, but look what God has given us. But he continues with the rich and their finances. Look at verse 18 now. Let them do good, the rich man. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And they say that you really know a Christian when they learn how to give. But getting back to godliness, only through godliness can a, fine, can a, a rich man financially give. Only through godliness can a Christian financially give. But he's talking about the rich. Paul tells Timothy, tell them to use their money to good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And we always find in Scripture, it's easier when somebody doesn't have much. The woman that, the widow woman that only had two mites, she gave of all she had. And so it's amazing. Now, I'm going to give you a few verses. I want you to write them down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes that God loves a cheerful giver. You've been here long enough. I don't preach and teach on the tithe in the New Testament. I believe that that was Old Testament. And if you really study the Old Testament, it starts at 10% and eventually goes up to about 22 23%. The different laws that were available. But in the New Testament, our giving should be from the heart. And so in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, uh, they quote Jesus. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But years ago, I went to Malachi chapter 3. And there in that process of Malachi chapter 3, if you have a study Bible, Malachi says you have robbed God. And the people respond, how have we robbed God? And Malachi said, in your tithes, your offerings. But Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, let me read this to you. The only place in Scripture that God challenges us. And God says, test me. Put me to the test. And and as I studied this years ago, I, I found it intriguing that God doesn't say, test me in your prayers, how much you pray. Test me in the study of the Word of God how much you get into the Scriptures. Test me in your attendance at church. Test me, you know, in your witnessing outside of the church. He doesn't say that. But he says, test me in your giving. And so in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says, try me. The word to try me, test me now in this, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and to pour out to you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. What a challenge. What a test. And one old preacher said it years ago, you can never outgive God. And so the challenge for godliness in the rich. See, again, those of us that just get along... Check by check, paycheck by paycheck, not a problem. But what about those that are on the Forbes list? I mean, they give away a million dollars. There's plenty more where that came from. Only through the godliness of Christ Jesus. And he goes on, still speaking about the finances. So he spent time. In verse 19, storing up for themselves, the the rich man, a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. When you do this, Timothy, when you tell the rich man, tell them to give from their heart. You will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they can take hold of the real life. The Greek is saying here, lay up in store. Listen to this. Dr. Ralph Earle, one of the Greek scholars that I read, he says this about laying up in store. That the scripture is saying in the Greek, the idea Paul is saying here, by giving generously, people will be storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. And so I looked at that because, you know, we don't have to do anything 
to get into the kingdom of God. You've been here long enough, I've told you. You come to Saving Grace, and you never give a dime to the Lord. You never put a dime into the agape box. You're still saved by grace through faith. Not of works that a man should boast. You see, because if we could give for our salvation, we would do it. But we are saved by grace. Now, what am I storing up in heaven? When I do good works, when I give to the poor, when I give of my finances that God has given to me, I give back a portion. What am I storing up in heaven? Am I building a mansion? Some people declare that. In John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I don't believe that. And if he is building a mansion, I don't care about that mansion. I want to get to heaven. But I believe what he's storing in heaven for us. The day that we enter the pearly gates, this is what I want to hear. This is what you want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. Enter the glory of the Lord. Now, we're not finished here. I want to take it a little bit further. Turn with me now. I want you to read this with me. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So the encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy, now to the rich. Listen, godly living must be part of your life. You're a Christian. Live in godliness. And godliness brings us to that place to give to the Lord. And I can't do it without godliness, holiness, righteousness, piety in my life, reverence of God in my life. And literally then I'm able to give because I give from my heart, not because I'm being pressured. Listen, give, and, and God's going to give you back a hundredfold. What if he never gives you back a hundredfold financially? But God blesses you. God blesses you. And so, storing up again. Jesus says, lay up your treasure in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and they steal it. In verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, listen, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Now, it's interesting that I'm reading these three verses to you. What a scripture to read in light of the current problems on Wall Street, the economy, people losing tons of money, people concerned about their 401ks. I've had a couple of friends call me, and they said, pray for me. My 401k is diminishing. I don't know what to do. And I pray for them. I encourage them. Our trust is not in our 401ks. And I'm not telling you not to prepare for retirement. We have. But what if they diminish? What if they're gone? What if 1929 happens all over again? Well, we have safeguards. We have insurances. What if it's gone? The United States goes down economically, Europe, Asia. It's very possible. We better store up our treasures in heaven. Turn to one more passage, Matthew chapter 19. So turn ahead. Look at verse 16. And here's a beautiful story. You've heard it at one time or another. The rich young ruler. Now, let me just set this up because Jesus, this rich young ruler challenges Jesus. I've done everything since a youth. I've, I've done the Ten Commandments. What else do I need to do? Now, Jesus saw this man's heart. We just shared in verse 21, Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew where this man's heart was, even before he came to him. So in Matthew 19, look at verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
you're taking notes, he's speaking about the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20. Keep the commandments. And listen to the challenge in verse 18. He said to him, which ones? Jesus responded. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Great question. In verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, if your Bible says perfect, we know that there's not one perfect, but he's speaking about completeness. If you want to be complete in the Lord, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross now and follow me. You see, Jesus saw his heart. In verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, Jesus asked this young man to do this because he knew where his heart was. Oh, he boasted, Ten Commandments, piece of cake. I've done them all. But his problem was finances. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, pick up your cross, follow me. Uh, can we go back to the Ten Commandments? You see, it's not an easy task. And God will put us to the test. Maybe it's not finances, but God will put us to the test. I, I'm going to share this. The test that I had years ago, I used to play baseball three nights a week. And then I would go to the bars the other three nights a week. And then I, I love fishing. I was always making, you know, trips to Baja, California. And, and we would charter a, a boat. And, you know, I'd gather a bunch of guys. I love sport fishing. And then we like to go freshwater fishing. And when I come to Saving Grace, God took those things away. Now, back up a little bit. There's nothing wrong with playing baseball. There's nothing wrong with going sport fishing. But that was my life. Besides the drugs I was selling and besides the drinking that I was doing, that was my life. And God says, give it up. Give it up. I used to pitch a fastball underhand. And I was pretty good at it. So the church found out that I used to play. I was a pitcher. And they wanted me to play. And, man, I was deathly afraid. I did not want to. Now I can't play. I'm too old, right? Can't even see the ball. But it was a flesh thing for me. And man, I didn't go fishing for a long time. I didn't even go to a ball game for a long time. I put myself in bondage. And then little by little, God brings it back. And I love when I'm in Southern California, one of my relatives or one of my friends said, hey, would you like to go see a game? Hey, let's go if it's possible. We've done some small fishing here when it's possible. But what is your appetite that God says, you know, sell everything, give it away, pick up your cross, follow me? For the rich young ruler, it was not an easy test. But only through godliness. Only through godliness. You know, my friends would ask me after, say, Bob, do you miss fishing? I go, yes and no. Do you miss, uh, you know, the, the ball games? Well, yes and no. Besides playing, we used to coach and everything. And so God takes these things away. And he gives you his desires. The desires uh, after God's own heart. And again, there's nothing wrong with some of the things that we do. But now we come to the conclusion of the chapter. Let's go back to verse 20 and 21. This charge, this encouragement. Timothy, stay in godliness. Talk to the rich. Talk to the poor. Talk to the church you have there at Ephesus. Stay in godliness. And now he gives this charge. Guard your faith. You see, in the last days, there's going to be a great apostasia. There's going to be a great falling away in the last days. We're seeing it already. You see it across the nations. People that were serving God, people that were going to church, people that were on fire for the Lord. Well, Jesus hasn't come. Let's go back to square one. 
And before you know it, you're back to the appetites of the world, back to Egypt, back to Babylon. So guard the faith. Look at verse 20. Oh, Timothy. And I can just, I can hear the sincerity in Paul's heart. Oh, Timothy. Guard what uh, was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane things, the idle babblings, and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And so he begins this last portion of encouragement and what we've been sharing. Timothy, stay in godliness. Stay in that place of piety, holiness, and reverence towards God. Now, I'm encouraging you, Timothy. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. The word is persevere what has been given to you. One commentary said this, Timothy, guard the deposit of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been committed or deposited into your account, deposited uh, into your personal trust, placed in your heart. The Bible says that we are walking epistles. And now, Timothy, be encouraged and encourage others. Avoid these. Turn away from profane, which is heathenistic wickedness, idle, vain babbling, which is empty, fruitless talk. It adds nothing to your godliness, Timothy. Now watch this. Avoid contradictions. Contradictions are oppositions that are falsely called knowledge. Avoid them. The King James uses the word sciences. But avoid Those things that are contradictory, listen, to the Word of God. There was two false teachings that were going on in the time of the early church, basically. The teachings of Gnosticism, that only knowledge was your salvation. And the teachings of the Judaizers, listen, Jesus' salvation is true, but you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the dietary laws. You need to keep the meat laws. And you need to keep the Sabbath. You need to keep the traditions and and the feast days. And the list goes on. And before you know it, you have a ton of additives. But I was thinking about our time. Avoid the contradictions of knowledge. And what's very famous today is evolution, the knowledge of evolution. And naturally, they don't want to hear about creation. And, and you know, the earth is not millions and, and not billions, and it just keeps going. I like what Pastor Chuck said. You know, when I first went to school years ago, he goes, the earth was only a million years old, and now... In the 21st century, it's billions of years ago. And I'm not that old, he says. But man just keeps adding on. Now, I believe that free enterprise, let's teach creation and evolution. Teach it in the schools. And tell them that there are footprints of man and dinosaurs together. It's been, you know, documented. But they don't want to see it. And so be careful with knowledge. Knowledge that contradicts the scriptures. Avoid such. Avoid them. You know, honestly, I don't like to argue with anybody about the scriptures. You don't believe what the scriptures believe, the scriptures teach? Why should I argue with you? Why should I take my time with you? Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. Tell them you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Tell them that Jesus is the way and that they need to get right with God. And then point to their little son, their little daughter, and say, you will not give that child a transfusion of blood when the time comes. And they're going to answer you, no. And then I'll tell the little kid, your dad wants to kill you. (laughs) That's me. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I cannot. I have my kids And if one of them, God forbid, goes to the hospital, the doctor says they need a transfusion, I'm going to refuse it because of my religious beliefs? God forbid. God forbid. Now, avoid such contradictions. And by the way, they've marked my house. They don't come by no more. Look at verse 21, the conclusion. By professing it, some have 
straight concerning the faith. Grace be to you, Timothy. Amen. By professing. Well, maybe the Gnostics have something there. Maybe the Judaizers have something there. Well, maybe evolution. Maybe we did come from monkeys. I mean, I like bananas, right? I shouldn't have said that. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be to you. Now, professing means to make promises of the false teachings. In other words, you buy into Gnosticism or you buy into evolution of today. Now, is Gnosticism the truth is, and the way is Evolution, the truth, and the way. No, listen to the scripture. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to my Father but through me. You want to get to the Father, you must go through the cross. And see, man in his thinking, well, why do I have to go through the cross? Why can't I go around the cross? Why can't I go under the cross? Why can't I go over the cross? We always make excuses. The Bible says, you want to get to the Father, you must go through his Son. Jesus became the mercy seat for us. Jesus became what the whole book of Hebrews is about. The complete sacrifice to give me life, life eternal. Why is it that man makes salvation so hard? Listen, brother, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do You got so many do's and don'ts. The Bible says, come to Jesus by faith. In Romans 10, 13, Paul says, those that call upon the name of the Lord, listen, shall be saved. Cut and dry. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that count? What does that mean? I think of those people that were in that plane, Flight 29, I think, that was going down in the wooded area outside of Pittsburgh there, or the Philadelphia area. How much time did they have? We have some documentation. Uh, one of the guys was talking to one of the girls on the cell phone, and, and uh, he said, say the Our Father with me. Is that all it takes? Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we're going to die. Lord, we're going to take this plane down with them, but we're going to die. Lord, forgive me. Lord, receive me. It's a done deal. If it comes from your heart, and I'll tell you what, you know the plane's going down. It better be coming from your heart. Lord, save me. Why have we made it so hard? My truth in Jesus Christ, my assurance is in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so, Timothy, I charge you with these last encouragements live in godliness strive for godliness persevere for godliness because we're here today we're gone tomorrow lord i just want to serve you the economy is going down i'm just going to serve you lord my job might you know diminish i'm just going to serve you lord we might not be able to put the same amount of food we used to put on the table. But Lord, I'm going to serve you. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? Pray and ask the Lord. Lord, give me a life of godliness to serve you, to please you. Not to please man. To serve you, to please you, Lord. In Jesus' name. That's it. It's simple. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. We're going to continue in the letter to 2 Timothy. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that will not come back void. And Lord, we heard the exhortation of love and compassion and grace in the area of living godliness. And Lord, we came to that conclusion, I can't do it. Not, there's not one of us here that can do it, but I can do all things through Christ. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Lord, I desperately need you. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that has not made that commitment to Christ, not to Calvary Chapel, not to Pastor Bob, but with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to just give you this opportunity. If you've never received Christ or you're not sure you've ever received Christ, here's your opportunity. 
not going to ask you to come up to the front, but right there where you're at, I will pray for you. A simple prayer of faith. And if that's you this morning, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say the sinner's prayer with you, anybody, before we leave. Don't leave here without Christ if you've never received him. Real quick, anybody. Praise the Lord. Then we're all Christian. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Father, uh, thank you for the beautiful saints that you've brought this morning to hear from you, Lord. As we've been encouraged uh, to live godliness, to live a life of godliness, and it's only through Christ in me. Lord, help us, for we fail daily, but help us, Lord, as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. And Father, we just love you and praise you and worship you, Lord. Father, bless the offerings this morning. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the Ebo Elder Outreach for this Thursday. Bring the people to come to hear from you, to be challenged by you. And so, Father, bless this time. Bless our hearts. We lift up our hearts to you, Lord, to serve you, to please you, to give you praise and honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and we all agree by saying amen.